0: Well, happy Mother's Day, moms. Now, tell me who, who puts these holidays together. Um, yesterday, yesterday was World Naked Gardening Day. And today's Mother's Day. I'm not sure how the two, <laughs> I'm not sure how those two got together. I heard a joke. Most of you mothers probably heard this one. One day, a little girl's sitting and watching her mother do the dishes. And uh, suddenly notices that her mom has some gray hair. And mixed in with her brunette, you know, hair. And she looks at her mom and she says, Mom, why, why are your hairs white? Why are your hairs turning gray? And her mom, of course, says, Well, every time you do something wrong... Right. Every time you make me cry or you make me unhappy, one of my hairs turns white. So the little girl thought about that for a couple minutes, and then she said, "Mom, why are all of Grandma's hairs white?" (laughs) Anyway. So this morning we're going to interrupt our regularly scheduled programming of Genesis and we're going to do a a special Mother's Day message. It's not your normal Proverbs 31 Mother's Day message. If I had to, I don't know, it's different, that's all I'll say. Instead of being a somewhat Proverbs 31, you could say it's going to be, you know, more akin to like that woman in Judges who drove a spike through some guy's head. So, okay, maybe it's not that, that harsh, but... It's an example for all of us to learn from. We're going to be in the book of Esther. It's somewhat of a call of arms for us, a call to arms. Now, the events of the book of Esther happen between the book of Ezra and the book of Nehemiah, even though they aren't exactly laid out that way in the Bible. and the Bible, goes Ezra, Nehemiah, Esther. But chronologically, how they actually happened is Ezra, Esther, Nehemiah. And... uh, It also, the the book of Esther holds a unique distinction, which is it's the only book of the Bible that doesn't mention God. But that doesn't mean that God is not in the book of Esther. Matter of fact, you see his hand at work through the entire book, right? Now, some will say, wait a minute, you can't teach a mother's day teaching from the book of Esther. Esther wasn't a mother, right? She had no biological kids. That we know of, that the Bible talks about, which is possible. We don't know. Jewish tradition states she was the mother of King Darius II. I'm not sure. However, what we do know is that she was a stepmother uh, because King Artaxerxes, who you see in Nehemiah, was her stepson. Um, and along with that, scripture is really clear that she was responsible for many children. And you say, what children? the children of Israel, right? So Esther was an unlikely heroine who was living in unlikely times. She was an orphan Jewish girl called to be a mother to Israel at an appointed time and an appointed place. I am not going to read the entire book of Esther and all 10 chapters, but just to kick us off into what we're going to talk about this morning, I'm going to read from Esther chapter 4, and I'm going to read verses 12 through 17. And it says, And they told Mordecai what Esther had said. Esther and Mordecai are having a conversation through uh, messages being sent by servants back and forth. And then Mordecai told them to reply to Esther, Do not think to yourself that in the king's palace you will escape any more than all the other Jews. For if you keep silent at this time, relief and deliverance will rise from the Jews from another place. But you and your father's house will perish. as Esther had ordered him. Let's pray. Lord, I thank you for this word, and I pray, Lord, you speak it into our hearts. It's a message for all of us. It's not just a message for moms. It can be applied to everyone here. And I thank you, Lord, for the strength and the power of your word. And I thank you, Lord, for how you show us that even when it seems that we're in times where you possibly aren't there, the truth is you are. And we can see your hand in the midst of everything that's going on and the work that you are doing, and we thank you for that, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. Quick summary of the book, right? Like I said, I'm not going to read all ten chapters. I don't know how long that would take me anyway. Israel as a nation was split at this time, okay? Somewhat by choice, to be honest, right? After 70 years of captivity, many of the, uh, the Jews had returned to Jerusalem under the decree of uh, Cyrus the Great or King Cyrus. We saw that that's back in the book of Ezra. And they start rebuilding the temple. However, not all of them went. Some stayed. Right, in, technically in captivity. Right? So the Israelites are under the control of the Persian Empire now. Remember, when they went into captivity originally, they were under control of Nebuchadnezzar and the Babylonian Empire, but the Babylonian Empire has been defeated by the Persian Empire, and now they're under control by the Persian Empire, You know, etc. It gets very confusing, trust me. There's been many rulers and kings that go from the time of Ezra to the time of Nehemiah. Right now, though, there's just one, the King Cyrus, or Cyrus the Great. So, anyway, those who stayed, and technically those who didn't even, You know, this is 50 to 60 years later from when the decree was given, I believe, to go back uh, to Jerusalem. Those who stayed are now ruled by King Xerxes, also known as the great king Ahasuerus, all right? And he reigns, as it tells us in Ezra, or Esther, sorry, I get the two, I'll say the two always, just so you know, as we're going through. If I say Ezra, I mean Esther. It's just, they both start with E and they're close to each other. Uh... The king ruled over, as it tells us in chapter 1, verse 1 of Esther, he ruled over 127 provinces. It says, now in those days of Ahasuerus, he reigned from India to Ethiopia over 127 provinces. So he had a large kingdom, okay? And so I just tell you all that to tell you that Israel wasn't a fully sovereign nation as we understand. Instead, it was a displaced and divided people, right? And it was under the control of another government, ruled by a king that was not a believer in God. So, in the first chapter of Esther, what we find out is that the king has a queen. He has a wife, Queen Vashti. She, unfortunately, disrespects the king uh, and all his nobles, and the eunuchs and everyone else that was in his court because he summoned her to the court to show her off and she refused to come, right? So, of course, this is a, a patriarchal you know, society that has no respect for women uh, in anyway, no value on women. So the king was humiliated in front of his, uh, all the other people of his court, humiliated in front of everybody. And so there's a penalty, obviously, that was going to be placed on the king and the, and the queen. I mean, and the penalty is going to be pretty harsh. They were, what they were afraid of was that her her, her behavior. They talk about this uh, would affect and influence all the other women in the kingdom, right? And so she cannot be an example for the other women to follow. So they, they, they give they they banish her basically. Right? She never gets to. Uh, she's never allowed to see the king again. That's it. That's the last we hear heard of her. She's gone. She's banished out of the kingdom. So they have a problem now. And, of course, the problem is, is that the king needs a new queen. <laughs> so they do, you know, star search. They do the American Idol, right? They, they, hold, they, hold, they form a search committee. They gather all the young virgin women in the province. There's probably, I mean, guesstimates are 300 to 400 women that they gather. And they bring the women to the king's harem. There's two harems, at least two harems that we know of. And you can figure out yourself what the difference is. But the one is where they brought the virgins, and the other one is where the concubines were. Okay? This plays into how the king selects his, his wife. So, so we're introduced to Esther. Right? Now Esther's a Benjamite, which means she's from the tribe of Benjamin. She's a Jew. Yet her name is Esther. At least they call her Esther right? in the book, for the most part. That's not her real name. That's not her Hebrew name. <clears throat> her family obviously didn't leave with the rest of the exiles and return to Jerusalem. And her parents died, and now she's an orphan. And she's being raised by her cousin Mordecai. And some will say, it's her uncle Mordecai. And, you know, you can debate that all you want. I don't care. Uh, you know, it's, I think it's cousin, because it refers to her father being uh, Mordecai's uncle. So therefore, they're cousins. Anyway, he's much older than she is. But he adopts her like his daughter, and he raises her. Right? It tells us that in chapter 2, verse 7. It says, he was bringing up Hadessa. now that's Esther's Jewish name, Right? That is Esther, Right, the daughter of his uncle, for she had neither father nor mother. The young woman had a beautiful figure and was lovely to look at. And when her father and mother died, Mordecai took her as his own daughter. So Esther is her Persian name. Hadassah is her Hebrew name. Now this kind of plays into the story because the Esther comes from the name, from the word Ishtar. It's you know Persian. Uh, it was given to her probably in captivity. She was born in captivity. So it was probably given to her to hide the fact that she was a Jew. Okay? They, they weren't forthright with some of those things. Now they say maybe it was given to her when she was brought to the king's harem. They gave her the, her Babylonian name then. I don't know. But Esther is her Persian name. Esther means Star. Her Hebrew name, Hadessa, means myrtle, as in myrtle tree, which was a fragrant, ornamental, evergreen shrub. And interestingly, in Isaiah, the myrtle tree is a symbol of recovery and establishment of God's promises. Oh, that lines up with the story, doesn't it? Anyway, so they had to go through a year of beautifying, right? They had to I don't know everything that was involved in this year of beautifying that they had to go through before they could even see the king. I immediately thought to that movie, what's that movie where that girl's going to become... Print, uh, queen and the mom, Julie Andrews or whatever, has to put her through all the training so she can figure out how to carry her utensils correctly and wear her crown correctly and walk. Yeah, and, yeah, exactly. That's kind of what I was thinking. Oh, they had to train her, right? They had to train her to become a queen. That's not just what they did. There was six months of oil and myrrh, and then there was six months of spices and ointments. So they didn't just train her They beautified her, right? I mean, they they put her through six months of all these. It's like being in a spa for a year. So so they put her in the spa treatment for a year. And then, uh, and again, remember, she's in competitions with hundreds of other women. I hate to use the word competition. Uh, With hundreds, they didn't really have a choice much in the matter. Uh, She was in competition with hundreds of other women. And one by one, this is how that went. The king would call them in to spend a night with him one woman at a time and then if the king <clears throat> you know was found the woman tantalizing or whatever got to find the right word <laughs> you know she would become queen if not he sent her off to the second harem which was the harem for the concubines okay so it's her turn Right, And it tells us in chapter 2, verse 15 of Esther that she, was, that she was winning the favor of all who saw her. I mean, coming up to this point, everyone was just bowled over by Esther. And now it's her turn to take her to the king. And it says in uh, verse 17 of chapter 2 that the king loved Esther more than all the women, and she won grace and favor in his sight more than all the other virgins and that he set the royal crown on her head and made her queen instead of Vashti. Right? So now you have Queen Esther. I mean, the, 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 I know they've made movies on this, but this is, it reads like a like a script. But the story, of course, doesn't end there. Right? It doesn't stop there. It's just like, whoo, she's queen. Great. No, right? Now we... Now we get to meet the bad guy. Right? So now we get to meet Haman the Agagite in chapter 3 of Esther. And he's a, a shallow, prideful man. He has access to power. He's like the he eventually, you know, he he gets to be the second-hand man to the king basically, uh, which is a dangerous thing for any nation or or for any people, when you have a powerful man who's prideful and shallow with access to power. So so that's what he is. And he, and, and he was given over to jealousy and rage, and he was a man who loved attention and power, and he was also a man of great insecurities and fears, as we'll see as you go through the story. So Haman had been promoted, like I said, second in command, basically, underneath the king. His throne, it said, was set above all the other officials. Matter of fact, the king passed a decree that said, hey, when Haman is walking through the gates, when he is walking, you know, in front of any of the servants, you were to bow down to Haman to honor him, because that's how powerful I say he is. Well, everyone did. Well, everyone except one person. Who? Mordecai, right? Her cousin or her uncle or whatever, right? He would never bow down to Haman, Never. And everyone tried to get him to. They'd pull him aside. Mordecai, you got to bow down to Haman. Don't cause problems. And he'd be like, no, I don't bow down to men. Right? I'm not bowing down. Mordecai, come on. Don't rock the boat. Mordecai, bow down. I'm not going to do it. I'm not bowing. Well, of course, Haman finds out, right? He got upset and furious. Upset and furious. And due to his anger, he didn't just want to kill Mordecai. Now that he found out that Mordecai was a Jew, he wanted to kill all the Jewish people in the king's kingdom. He wanted to kill all the Jews. That's how furious he was. So, he goes to King Ahasuerus. And he says, he doesn't give him all the details. You know, he kind of lays it out very discreetly without... You know, letting him know how angry he really was. This was a personal vendetta, right? And he tells him, hey hey, king, there's a certain people group in your kingdom and they have their own laws and they don't follow your laws and that really is kind of a problem. So, you know what? It's, it's really not possible for you to tolerate them. So why don't we just kill them all? And the king's like, okay. (laughs) Right? Sounds good. Let me write an order and sign it. This should sound a little familiar to you. Because it's not that much different than the world we live in. Right? It operates almost the same way. You won't follow our laws? You won't worship who or what we say you should worship? You won't bow down to us? Why should we tolerate you? you maybe you've heard this conversation. I've seen it posted many different places online, but it kind of goes like this: the world or or your uh non-believing friends or you know atheists or however you want to however you want to try to classify them those not within Christ, okay? They'll come up to you and they'll say, "Hey, we want to do. fill in the blank." and you're like, "All right, go ahead, do it." And they're like, "But wait a minute." You think it's wrong, don't you? And we are, and we, and we say yes. Yeah, we think it's wrong. But I want to do whatever. Okay, do it. But you think it's wrong? Yes, I do. You're just trying to control me. No, I'm not actually. I'm not trying to control you. I just want what's best for you. We actually care for you. But you're free to do. Whatever you wish. But I want to do whatever. Okay, you're free to do that. But I want you to say that it's okay and that you support me when I do this with my decision to do whatever it is. And you say, no, I'm sorry. I can't support you in that decision. I can't say that. And their reply is, why are you such a hateful, ignorant bigot? That's kind of the conversation we have today. There's no in-between. It's either support exactly what I believe, support exactly what I say you should support. Don't, I mean, we, we've seen this last week, Roe versus Wade. When the possibility of it being overturned, the decision's not even coming until June, I think, if I'm correct, has already pulled the masks off of so many demonic creatures that you're just watching them spit vile and venom. Because how dare we, right, go against something that they believe? So the king, anyway, he tells him on, okay, do with them as you please. Do with them as you please. Because he doesn't tell them it's the Jews. He doesn't tell them that it's Mordecai, who happened to have a, a, an office in the, the king's you know, temple. He didn't tell them, I mean, they didn't know that Esther was a Jew. Because she, under orders from her cousin, was not telling anybody, really, that she was a Jew. So, But at that point, Haman becomes the enemy of the Jews. Okay? And here's, here's another truth that we should understand. Evil governments like to kill people. Okay, Whether it be adults or babies or elderly or whoever, they hate life, as in human life, because they hate God, and therefore they take lives. Evil governments like to kill people. Did you know that this last week, or maybe the week before, the World Economic Forum, uh, another name for hell... Uh, a company that seems to be possessed by Satan and everyone in it, for the most part. I won't go too far down that road. The World Economic Forum, who is now united with the UN and has many world leaders under their umbrella, and many leaders in our government are disciples of the World Economic Forum as well. This is the group that's trying to rush her in the Great Reset and, the, and the, you know, the coming one world government and the new world order, etc., that you hear everyone talking about. Uh, one of their members just said recently, old people live too long, and it is a risk for the global community despite the fact that the people saying this are old people too, we won't get into that. They don't want their rules to apply to them. It should only apply to you. Anyway, so they released this statement or this video. I tried to find it. I I found a lot of people talking about it, but I didn't find the actual statement. But it said that for the children, I mean, you, you need to do this for the children. Elderly people. Elderly people who are no longer productive should opt for euthanasia. Yeah, isn't that nice? right? For the children, for the greater good. You, if you're an elderly person and, you, and, and you're no longer productive, just kill yourself. If they hate God, they hate life, and they take life. So anyway, the king and Haman release this order. The whole city is thrown into confusion when they hear it obviously Mordecai hears of it because he's in the king's palace and all the other Jews in the in the king's kingdom hear of it and technically Jerusalem is in the king's kingdom if you really want to get technical about it there's there's great mourning and fasting and weeping i mean i mean we're talking sackcloth and ashes everyone is greatly upset about this order from the king concerning killing, murdering, wiping out an entire race of people, right? The Jewish nation. The queen hadn't heard the message, but the queen sees that Mordecai is very upset. I mean, he's ripped his clothes. He's, like I said, sackcloth and ashes. He's sitting by the gate. He won't come see here. He's not allowed to in that condition anyway. He would have to go take a shower, put on his good clothes, etc. Uh, But she sees that he's upset, distressed, so she sends her people to him. Hey, ask him what's going on. They ask him, hey, the queen wants to know what's going on. Why are you so upset? He tells them. Right. They go back to the the queen. They tell her. Right. They're sending messages back and forth. And that's where we get to the verse that we read to start off this morning in chapter 4. So they're, telling, they're passing messages back and forth and Mordecai sends that message to Esther and says, do not think to yourself that in the king's palace you will escape any more than all the other Jews. In other words, the king doesn't know you're a Jew but don't think they're not going to find out. Right? You're at harm too. You're at harm too. He says, but if you keep silent at this time, relief and deliverance will rise for the Jews from another place. Right? God will protect his people but you and your father's house will perish. And he says, and who knows whether you have not come to the kingdom for such a time as this. She replies, she tells Mordecai, gather all the Jews, have them fast and pray for three days and me and my women, we're going to do the exact same thing and then after that three days, even though it's unlawful, I'm going to go see the king and if I perish, I perish. Right? Because you just don't go and see the king. Her visiting the king was punishable by death. If he didn't summon you, you didn't enter. Right? Esther was, Esther was risking her life. It's a contrast in the story because at the very beginning of Esther, the king summoned his queen and she wouldn't come. And now Esther is going to go see the king when she's not summoned. His new queen, right? My first queen wouldn't come when I summoned her. My second one just comes when I don't want her to. Right? Okay, it wasn't like that, but... Esther was risking her life, right? And she was the queen. She was living the life, right? She didn't have to do this. The king didn't know she was a Jew at the time. She hadn't told a soul. She didn't even use a Jewish name, right? She hid her faith in that sense. She was flying under the radar, so to speak. Why make waves? But how long can you do that? Should you ever do that? The time had come for her to stand up for what she believed in, right? The time had come for her to stand up for her people. She calls them, or they are called her people. It doesn't say the Jews, right? It's Her people is how they're referenced in the book. So it's time to come for her to stand up for her faith, to stand up for the children of Israel. And she does. She is stepping out into where God called her. She risks her life for those she loves. If that's, modern, if that's not a mom, I don't know what is. Right? That's what mothers do. Regardless of whether they're looking out for their kids or someone else's kids or the kids that just wandered in off the street, that have adopted them as a mom. Right? Your maternal instinct kicks in. And mother will put others' needs before herself all the time. All the time. That's a lesson for us to learn from. Now, as far as the story goes, the Lord protects Israel, right? Esther and Mordecai turn the tables on Haman. To make a long story short, Mordecai ends up being honored and given a higher place in the king's command. Matter of fact, the signet ring that he had given Haman, he gives to Mordecai at the end of the story. And Haman ends up hanging from the very gallows he had built to hang Mordecai. Right? And the king passes an order to allow the Jews to defend themselves, and it says that no one could stand against them. Right? And they, they cut down everyone who attempted to kill the Jews. Right? The day of deliverance became a day of feasting and re- rejoicing among the Jews. In Esther 9, chapter, uh, chapter 9, verse 22, it says, As the days on which the Jews got relief from their enemies, and as the month that had been turned for them from sorrow into gladness and from mourning into a holiday, that they should make them days of feasting and gladness, days for sending gifts of food to one another and gifts to the poor. That's still a holiday till this day. It's called the Feast of Purim. Right? It was celebrated back in March this year. The Feast of Pyramid is the Jewish holiday which commemorates the saving of the Jewish people from Haman. And rabbis will teach that Esther is the one responsible for the deliverance of Israel, and they compare her to the moon, which shone for Israel in the, deliver- in the darkness of night. Right? They say that she illuminated Israel like the light of dawn, all because she was ready to give her life to save her people, to protect the children of Israel. So moms, you're probably thinking, what the heck kind of message (laughs) is this on Mother's Day? You think I'm going to go grab a sword, go out there? (laughs) The question is, no matter your age, no matter if your kids live at home or they don't live at home, or more than just your kids live in your home? <laughs> right? No matter even if your kids talk to you anymore. And I hope they do. I'm just saying, you know. Do you believe that God can use you even now for such a time as this? See, the Lord is looking for those who are fearless and are committed to the truth. That are not concerned about their reputation or their popularity, right? Those who will stand for righteousness in the name of Jesus. So are you standing for Jesus? Right? Because standing for Jesus is taking a risk, it is antithetical, which means it goes against the grain. Right? It will never be popular. It always has been. It always will be. If you stand for Jesus, you're risking your life, just as Esther did. There's a quote from George Whitefield that says, if you're going to walk with Jesus, then you will be opposed in our days, he says. Uh, you You will be opposed because to become a true Christian, he says, is to become a scandal. He said that back in the mid-1700s, even more so today, because we live in a world departed from God. The Bible, the Word of God, which we build our lives upon, is being called a, a hate book, right? They say it's bigoted. In California, they're trying to pass legislation to ban the Bible, Right? And if you didn't know it, California is in a very demonic place right now, right. and that's that's only the tip of the iceberg, really. Right, that other ab- abortion law they're trying to pass about uh, abortions happening after birth uh, has to fall down on the definition of the word perinatal, which can be, uh, a, a, you know, anywhere from my understanding is seven days to twenty some odd days after birth. And then there would be no prosecution and nothing like that for any of that. You could just—that's—it's horrendous. I can't even wrap my head around it. Churches are are standing up. Mothers, one of the biggest uh, forces in California, standing up right now against the schools and the government, are mothers. They're joining school boards. Right, they're they're starting blogs. They're getting, you know, they're s- using social media like mothers have never used social media in their entire life. And they're standing up and fighting back against the legislation, against the horrors of what's trying to be passed in places like that. Mothers, mothers are standing up. Fathers are too. Don't you know? Fathers, don't be discouraged. Uh, you know, and and don't be lazy either. Well, the moms can handle that, right now. Uh, It's for all of us, right? But it's true. See, we've been sent out as sheep amongst the wolves. And if we're following Jesus, I mean, if we're following Jesus, we've been sent out um, like sheep amongst the wolves. And if you don't feel like that, I mean, if you don't feel like you're a sheep surrounded by hostile and murderous wolves looking to kill you, if you don't feel that way, then maybe you're not following Jesus, because that's what it's like to follow Jesus. If you do feel that way, be encouraged. Be encouraged by the fact that people are looking to kill you. Be encouraged by the fact that the wolves are looking to devour you. Be encouraged by the fact that Satan wants to steal, kill, and destroy. He wants to ruin your life. He wants to ruin your family. Be encouraged. Because the hope, the hope that we have is in Christ, and Christ is our great shepherd. Right? And we know that the end of the wicked is a foregone conclusion. We've read the end of the book, right? We've studied revelations. We know how it ends. Listen, God is calling us to obedience. Now more than ever. Right? He is asking us to surrender our lives, to surrender our plans right? to Him. That's sacrifice. And I know that these last couple of years, even just this last year, even these last six months, have stretched many of you moms right to the breaking point. Some of you are today are thanking God for the fact that you got out of bed this morning. You just don't know how you managed to do it. When you look back at the week, you just look back at this week, right? And you're like, how did I even get out of bed this morning? I mean, you got health issues that have suddenly appeared, new responsibilities that are showing up, never-ending work. It's just busy, 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 busy. right? And you might feel like God isn't very present in your life right now. You might feel that because uh, your life suddenly appears to be in a huge state of disaster. Your family may be under attack, or they feel like they're coming apart at the seams anyway, and you're doing everything you can just to keep them sewn together. But just as I said, you don't see God's name in the book of Esther, but you see his hand at work. It's the same for your life. Don't panic. God's in control. You are alive for such a time as this. You are. For such a time as this, you stand. Did you not know this? If you didn't know this, you should. A mother is fundamental to God's plans. A mother is fundamental to God's plans. Which is why mothers and women are under attack. That's just why the woman of the year was actually a man. Right? Because that's an attack on women and on mothers. A mother is the integral part of the first proclamation of the gospel. Back in Genesis 3.15, right? The portal evangelion. The first good news, right? The first promise of salvation mentions a mother and her son. Right? I will put enmity between you and the woman, and between your offspring and her offspring. He shall bruise your head, you shall bruise his heel. Right? Genesis 3:15. That helps explain why mother is a specific object of satanic hatred. Because the one who will defeat him came from a woman, born of a woman. Jesus had a mother. And we see this, like I said, today in the way that mothers and women are being attacked through gender confusion, through abortion, the number one killer every day. Over 60 billion babies have been murdered since Roe versus Wade. That's 50 years, 50 some years. I'm 50, how old am I, 53? It came out in, what, 1970? Something like that, 73, something like that. So anyway, motherhood's being attacked. Family unit's being attacked. And we've only seen like, I mean, they just, ooh, accidentally somehow released the Roe versus Wade documents. Somehow that's got out. Strange enough, and we already saw the reaction from that. Well, wait, what happens when the official proclamation comes down a month from now or a month and a half from now? Right? Yeah, civil war. People are talking about the Civil war. Did you know that that? And I, I, I can only say the left, and I mean no disrespect when I say the left, because it's not a political issue; it's a spiritual issue. And and the left is generalizing things. When you say just the left you 're generalizing things it, it's not just it 's not just the left it's it 's satanic. You know that the order went out this last week for people to protest churches today for those who are pro choice who stand for abortion, who have been screaming on videos all this week. I mean I saw one video of a lady who screamed. All oh, any of you girls out here or who are pregnant, you need to run right down to Planned Parenthood and get that thing sucked out right now. She was screaming to him on this outside in this in this thing, and we've seen celebrities this week, uh, Oprah and some other celebrities stand up and say, "My abortions have helped my career. No one will shame me for these things." And so we've seen all that this week. So all these people, they were told this week: "Listen, take your." <clears throat> Um, you know, take it to the churches. I mean, they were threatened. They already had the threat out this week said, listen, we're going to, if you take away our rights, we're going to burn down your cities. They stood on the corners. They had a, held a sign that said that. Dressed in their blank, you know, Antifa gear or whatever they were. I don't know who they were. Right, And then they had been posting things like, listen, if you do this, we're going to come for you. We're going to come for your families. We're going to burn down your houses. We're going to burn down your churches. It's ridiculous, Right. Their response has been ridiculous. And so this week they put out the order, listen, you know, take it to the churches. On Mother's Day, show up at the churches, stop the service, have your groups surround the church, be yelling, screaming, disrupt the churches. I don't know if it happened, if any of that happened or not, but the Lord protects those churches. But we are in the, we are in the middle of a war zone. We are in the middle of a war. Motherhood is being attacked. But women are an integral part, a fundamental part. Mothers are a fundamental part of God's plan. I mean, the first recorded words of faith in Genesis 4 came from Eve. I've gotten a man with the help of the Lord. Mothers were one of God's means for imparting wisdom to kings. Not just the prophets. Mothers. Solomon, who is the wisest man the world supposedly has ever known, the wisest man on earth, he commended his wife, right? He commended her teaching as integral to the wisdom of their son. See, what mothers do is they illustrate the compassion and the attentiveness and the tender care of the Lord. The way a mother is with her children illustrates God's way with his people, right? Right? These motherly qualities are a model for those who care for God's people. Mothers were the last at the cross when Jesus died. They were the first at his grave when he rose. Right? Moms are fundamental to God's plan. So moms, mother-in-laws, stepmoms, adopted moms, grandmothers, great-grandmothers, right? And whatever other descriptor I have probably forgot, here you are. In the midst of the days in which we live, here you stand. And so I ask again, do you believe that you are alive for such a time as this? Do you believe that God can use you in such days as these? Because you should. You should have confidence. It tells us in Hebrews chapter 10, do not throw away your confidence for this time. Your love and your example to your children and your grandchildren and your stepkids and the neighbor's kids and, you know, whatever other kids who call you mom, your love and example to them is truly invaluable and more impactful than you will ever know. God wants to use you. God's hand is moving to fulfill his purpose among his people, but he does not work alone. He chooses to use us. That's an amazing thing. A God who didn't have to do that, does that. He wants to use you. He wants you to join him in the work of salvation. So seek the welfare of your people, just as Esther did. Open your hands to the poor. Reach out to the needy. Dress yourself, as it says in Proverbs 31, with strength and make your arms strong. Let strength and dignity be your clothing. Don't be silent in the face of evil. Speak the truth in love. Stand for righteousness. Amen? Let's pray. Lord, I thank you for your word. I thank you for this day. I thank you for mothers and the power and the strength that comes from them in so many different ways. There are the mothers who do, as I said earlier, you know, drive tent pegs through people's schools. That seems harsh. But they were doing your work for your people at that time as well. Moms are protective. Moms fight for their children. Moms fight for their families. You've used moms since the beginning of creation and you will continue to do so. We pray, Lord, that you just continue to strengthen us. Continue to strengthen the moms because right now the attack is coming on women and coming on moms. And now is a time for moms to stand firm and stand for righteousness. So we pray, Lord, that you strengthen mothers. Bless them, love on them. Take care of them, protect them. We thank you for our mothers. We pray you bless them. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.